Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And in this episode, we are judging the saga of the people of Vopnafjord. Are we really? Yeah. I mean, this is what we always do. Why, why do you say that? Well, it's a fairly short saga. I don't know why we need an entire episode just to judge it. Are you kidding me? We spent nearly two hours talking about the story of Vopnafjord. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was that about? Are you being facetious here? <laughs> yes. Oh, good. I was a little worried. <laughs> uh, we probably should just quickly explain it for people who don't have this thing memorized. Slackers. Now, now. Uh, so, Vopnafjord Saga told the story of two chieftains, Broadhelgi and his BFF, Geter Ludingsson. How they bonded over local politics and the casual murder of a Norwegian merchant, and then how their friendship went terribly wrong when Broadhelgi spurned his sickly wife, who happened to be Geter's sister. Nicely put. That's one of the only reasons for the falling out, actually. And eventually, Broadhelgi's obnoxious behavior threatens local stability and Geter's own reputation. And he's forced to act to eliminate his former friend. Mm-hmm. Now, Brodhelgi's son, Luting, was caught in the ambush and killed as well, leaving the remaining son, Bjarni, with the unenviable task of having to seek revenge against Gator, his mother's brother, for the deaths of his father and brother. He eventually did take his revenge, but with a heavy heart. Uh, and then we learn the story of Bjarni and Gator's son, Thorkel, carrying on a feud uh, before finally making their peace with one another. Right. They're pieces of one another, but leaving a trail of corpses in their wake. Ah, sure. But it's nice that they worked it all out in the end. Well, yeah, that's the important thing, right? Is that Mm -hmm. those two got back together. Doesn't matter how many families go hungry and mourn the loss of their fathers and husbands. (laughs) Right. Uh, So all that happens in a saga that's riddled with missing bits and pieces, including an especially long gap where Brodhelgi actually dies. So this was a somewhat frustrating saga from a narrative standpoint. But still one with a lot to offer. Uh, Now, are you ready to uh, pass some judgments? Bang that gavel, sir. Best Bloodshed. Now, whenever we run into a text that is a mere Hroffenkel in length, we can be fairly (laughs) certain that the number of candidates in any given category are going to be fewer than we'd like to see here at Saga Thing. Mm -hmm. a Saga is one of those shorter sagas, which means we don't have a lot of bloodshed candidates to choose from. I'm not sure if the length of the saga is always proportional to the number of bloodshed candidates. I mean, there are plenty of shorter sagas that are full of bloodshed. It's just that Vapnafrothinga saga isn't one of them. (laughs) Fair enough, which is kind of what I was saying. (laughs) (laughs) Now, while we may not have a plethora of bloodshedy episodes to choose from here, this saga does have a few good options, I think. Bloodshedy? I've been using that for a while now, a, so... I know, but it's a, it's an odd adjective. Um, it's still dangerous. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. Uh, why don't you get us started? Okay. Um, I think the saga gets off to a great start for Bloodshed, actually. Remember we get that story about the origins of Brodhelgi's nickname in the first chapter? Mm-hmm. This is the where he ties the ice spur to the forehead of his bull, and then watches it gore another bull to death. Yes, yes, that's the one. Uh, it was better told in Thorstein the White Saga, in my opinion. It won Best Bloodshed for that saga, I think, didn't it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, and But I'm not considering that one here. Well, then why are you bringing it up? I just I, I just want to show the saga starts off with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me try this again. I'll be a little bit more direct this time. What is your first candidate? Oh. The one you actually want us to consider. Yeah, no problem. I got that. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping to see Broadhelgi win another Best Bloodshed tonight, so I, I've stacked the deck in his favor. Well, that's not hard to do. I mean, he's responsible for most of the bloodshed in the saga. True, exactly. And my first candidate also happens to be Brodhelgi's first foray into killing. Okay. It comes from chapter two when we hear of a big, strong bad guy named Svart coming to Iceland and pushing people around. He kills his mm-hmm. neighbor Skidi and then gets outlawed from the district. Right. Brodhelgi prosecuted that case. That's right. And it's pretty impressive for a 12-year-old boy. Yeah, see, the kid had a promising future at this point. What went wrong? I agree, but he earns real fame after learning that Svart has been hiding out and stealing people's livestock at an inappropriate rate. Now, out of curiosity, what would be considered an appropriate rate for stealing people's livestock? <laughs> I, I'm not What's sure. What's the sheep per annum ratio? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't think it's per annum, per diem, probably. Oh, is it? Um, okay. Or maybe, I don't know what it's per weekum, but uh, <laughs> the saga says... Or Montham? I don't oh, know. Oh, dear. I think you're showing off the limits of your Latin. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell your wife. Uh, 
the saga does say that he always took more than he needed when stealing the livestock. Mm-hmm. Um, but Brodhegli deals with the smart problem using the same kind of clever inventiveness that he used with the bull. He prepares for the fight by fashioning makeshift armor out of a large, thin flagstone. Right. He shoves one end down his pants and the other under his shirt, which does end up protecting him from Svart's spear. Yeah, it's a memorable scene. The spear glances off the rock and sticks into the ground, leaving Svart open to Brodhelgi's attack. That's right. And uh, things go downhill for Svart very quickly after that. That's right. Brodhelgi starts by cutting off Svart's leg, and then, after being roundly cursed to a miserable life afterwards, <laughs> he deals him a death blow. Yeah, that's a pretty good scene. And the, the curse is effective, because this really marks the end of any chance readers want, might want to get behind Brodhelgi as a hero in this saga. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's not exactly a great guy going forward, so maybe the curse does work. Oh, and uh, did you by chance happen to notice that the translator used the word halberd for the spear that Svart uses here? Does he? Yeah. It's the old halberd controversy again, huh? Yes, yes. Uh, translators seem to favor the word halberd to describe the spears or glaives or whatever used by saga characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we talked about Gunnar's halberd, um, which was the, the word chosen for the Icelandic atger. The Atger is definitely used for both thrusting and cutting, so maybe a glaive is a good mm-hmm. guess on that one. I don't know. Although the, the Atger doesn't have to be a single-edged weapon. Uh, but that's Njal Saga. In this case, the word for Svart's halberd is hogspjot, uh, a compound mm-hmm. word made of hog, stroke or blow, and spjot, uh, spear. So a reasonable translation might be hewing spear or striking spear. Mm-hmm. Um, this word's used elsewhere in the sagas. I looked it up. Uh, spent an evening on this, uh, but we don't usually get enough of a description of its function in battle to understand exactly what it is. Uh, we'll see the Hogspelt in Viga Gloom Saga, uh, Fereinga Saga, and Ale Saga. That's right. Um, Ale definitely has a Hogspelt in his hand. I looked at the Icelandic uh, when he ambushes Berg Onund, but uh, then when they start fighting, the spears they throw at each other are both referred to as Kessia, uh, another common term for spear in the sagas. So, Given the use in this episode from Ale Saga, the Kessia is clearly a throwing spear. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got to be different from a Hulk spell, doesn't it? Well, I would assume so. I mean, it could just be the author mixing things up, but it could also refer to some kind of a different head on the weapon. Yeah, but it's supposed to be the same spear that he was holding when he mm-hmm. got there for the thing. So uh, the name Hogspjot indicates that it is a hewing spear. So it must have an, a knife-like ended head. Mm. Um, but if we're sticking with Ale Saga, things get even more interesting. If you look a few chapters earlier in the saga, we're told that Ail's brother Thorolf has a Kessia, and they give a vivid description of what a Kessia is exactly. Mm-hmm. Here's what it says. Its blade was two L's long and rectangular, tapering to a point at one end, but thick at the other. The shaft measured only a hand's length below the long and thick socket which joined it to the blade, but it was exceptionally stout. There was an iron spike through the socket, and the shaft was completely clad with iron. Such spears were known as scrapers of metal. That's really specific, and it, it for me it calls to mind um, if you think about uh, Mjolnir, right? Uh-huh. A uh, short shafted but stout hammer. Yeah, uh, this idea of like a, a kind of a close combat hand weapon uh, rather than a longer reach weapon. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and what I want to know here is why can't all saga authors be so thorough? We wouldn't have to debate what these spears are if they would just describe them well, in more detail. I mean, honestly, I'm grateful that some of them hold back. We'd never finish this first series of our podcast if every <laughs> saga was as thorough as a lineal saga. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So uh, there is also one other possibility that gets floated around, and this one is supported by the seemingly irreconcilable shift in terminology that we see in the Berg on an episode of Eil Saga. Uh, it's possible that the saga authors simply used a variety of terms to describe their spears and didn't really care or know what word was used where. Yeah, that's not terribly satisfying. No, it's not. I don't, I, I'm not sure I buy it or like it. But uh, it does help explain why the author uses both terms in Ale Saga. I guess. I don't know. Although I think I'm starting to understand why Halbert is used so often by translators, though. Yeah, I mean, it's a big mess, and I'm not the only one to have spent a few uh-huh. hours or evenings trying to puzzle this out. There's plenty of scholarships on the subject, uh, but it does tend to just lump the Atger and Hogspjot, uh together as one, which either helps clear up the Ale Saga case or... Well, I mean, or just confirms that nobody really has an answer about the subject. 
Exactly. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Uh, and and oh, and I want to take a moment to thank my friend Adam for helping me with uh, some of the research on Spears that I did. We, we've uh-huh. never actually met, but I've had several pleasant exchanges with him on Twitter, um, and he's given me lots of good advice and links and stuff like that. Uh, he uses the handle at ebluaxe if you're looking for him. He's an excellent resource for Viking Age archaeology, uh, and he's also a really nice guy, very generous with his time whenever I've got questions. So uh, thanks for all the help, Adam. Yeah, he's worth following. He does uh, reproductions of yes. uh, Viking Age materials. It's really Beautiful reproductions. Right, neither of us claims any level of expertise when it comes to medieval material culture. So it's it's really nice to have reliable people out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the best parts about this podcast. We've both met, or virtually met usually, so many cool people. <laughs> we have. Uh, and while all this is fascinating, I'd like to point out that we've only covered the first candidate of our first judgment section. We should uh, yeah. probably conclude the digression and steer back toward our purpose. Good point. And uh, my meat is actually getting dangerously close to empty, so we better <laughs> move it along or we're going to have to pause for a refill. So what's your first candidate? Uh, well, uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't include or at least acknowledge uh, the killing of Broadhelgi and looting on the what? way to the local assembly. Well, I mean, there's a great buildup to this, right, where we learn the participants on both sides and Helgi and Gator frenemy their way into the agreement to ride together to the meeting. Mm-hmm. At some point, things turn violent and multiple people are killed. Now, admittedly, we don't actually get to witness that because of a missing part of the manuscript. Uh-huh. We don't know whether it was an ambush, an assassination, or an open brawl. Uh, but the man who Jonas Christensen called the canker at the, so- the core of this saga goes down <laughs> to the culmination of careful plotting by his enemy. Mm-hmm. I realize it can't win because it's not actually in the saga. <laughs> right. But I've written... About five different versions of this battle in my mind, and they're all awesome. <laughs> well, and for that reason, you know we can't count that one. Sure. I mean, the, the contents of the episode you're offering here, they're, they're lost to the ravages of time. We can't count it. And if anything, honestly, we should be thinking about the lacuna itself as a candidate for Best Bloodshed. What? I mean, think about look at Look at what it's done to the text. Oh, Talk about bloodshed. God. Are you kidding? You're getting no. a little meta now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the bloody wound on the manuscript. Yes. I see. I think it's worth considering. There's no greater or more explosive bit of bloodshed in this saga than the uh, big lacuna in the middle. You're right. I mean, it's a bit meta, but I kind of like it as a candidate. Though I'm not really sure how we'd manage to give the lacuna its award here on the stage. I think we should toss it into the void and hope for the best. (laughs) There you go. All right. Since since I filled up my first selection for Best Bloodshed with a digression on spears, I'm going to keep my second one really short for you. Ah, what a merciful gentleman you are, Andy. Thank you. Uh, Now, I don't think anyone will have trouble remembering Brodhelgi's decapitation of Thormod's oxen. Mm. Not just one or two oxen, mind you. He lops the heads off a whole herd of oxen. And that's no small feat. Yeah, time-consuming, I'd imagine. And exhausting. I mean, who's got the strength (laughs) to single-handedly behead more than three oxen in an evening? Wait, (laughs) why three? Is that your number? Have you been experimenting in Farmer Brown's fields late at night, seeing how many you can get through? (laughs) No, no, I'm I'm just guessing at what a strong man reasonably, a strong man which I'm not, reasonably (laughs) might be capable of doing. I see. Uh, You had me worried for a second there. Uh, Now, there's one thing that bugs me about this episode, John. Which is? Uh, I, I want to know what's wrong with all the oxen who just stand there waiting their turn to get beheaded. I mean, <laughs> sure, you're probably going to stand there after the first beheading just to see what Brodhelg is going to do next. But after the second and then the third one, I think it's pretty clear what's going on. If I'm an ox, I'm hightailing it out of there. <laughs> um, these are uh, stealth cows. <laughs> They're, they're, they freeze in place and try to blend into the background. <laughs> yeah, uh, they'll never see no, me. Moo. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, oxen aren't known for their, their brilliant deductive skills, Andy. Uh, <laughs> uh, wait, uh, that's the thing that bugs you about the episode? Just the, the why the cows stay still, not the actual decapitating of a herd of cattle? Oh, that too, of course. Very disturbing. Oh, yeah, of course. That's... <laughs> <laughs> it's a little late for you to pray. I think the uh, you're going to be getting a, a word or two from uh, the ASPCA. Oh, no. Uh, you know, since we're talking about animals. No, no, another digression. Yeah, well, just a short one. 
Uh, so much of the action of the sagas revolves around the livestock kept by characters. Uh-huh. Uh, and we don't often take the time to appreciate what an important role animals played in the lives of Saga Age Icelanders. I mean, we, 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 <laughs> <laughs> trying to get back in good with PETA after your yeah, no, <laughs> experimental you're... executing of oxen. Look, if anyone here pays attention to what's going on with the livestock, it's me. Um, and we do try here and there uh, on the podcast to make note of them where we can, but there's a lot more to be said. So if you're interested in learning more about animals in the settlement age and you just happen to be in Reykjavik, why don't you visit the Viking Animals Exposition at the Reykjavik City Museum? Oh, yeah. yeah I saw you tweeting about that earlier today. It looks cool. Yeah, it I does. wish I was getting to, I- to Iceland this year so I could check it out. Yeah, so do I, John, and many of our listeners, too. But uh, this exhibition is part of Dr. Laura Hogg's uh, research. Um, Mm -hmm. If you visit, you'll learn all about Viking Age animals, archaeological data we have about them, and even their role in Norse mythology. Why, there's something for everyone. Exactly. I'll put a link or two in the episode text if anyone wants to learn more. Um, But uh, that's enough of that. Digression complete. Do you have any other candidates, John? Uh, I do have one more. I think uh, the killing of Gate here is worth considering. Uh, If only because it's so monumental a moment. Definitely. Uh, As you pointed out during the episode, it's not often a man's leg falls asleep in the sagas. Right. Uh, Or in any literature. That's right. It's monumental because of the amount of social pressure Bjarni has to be under when he commits that killing. Mm -hmm. Uh, If anyone needs a refresher, quite a long time goes by after the deaths of Bjarni's father and brother in that fight that we lost in the lacuna. And he's already killed Tjarvi the Tall in revenge. But he continues to see Gator Ludingson, who masterminded the killings. And one evening, Bjarni fakes a numb leg, stands up, and puts an axe in Gator's skull. It's a pretty smooth assassination if you're into that sort of thing. But what makes it noteworthy is the relationship between these two. Gator is Bjarni's foster father, and he's also his maternal uncle. Now, that's exactly this, the relationship between Gisli Sursen and Snorri Gothi, which is usually held up as a no-win situation for Snorri, right? How do you avenge your father on your uncle? Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, it's also the plot of Hamlet, I suppose. Uh, socially, Bjarni is caught between the need to avenge his father and the impossibility of sanctioned revenge against his own uncle. He chooses revenge, but he pays a heavy price in reputation. I'm not saying it's the most spectacular bloodshed of the saga, but it's a great example of why these moments of violence are often more than just violence. Yeah. Right? They're the testing point of individual codes of ethics in a culture that fetishizes individuality. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. See, that sounded smart. And if none of that (laughs) floats your boat, it's also a man who buries his axe in a guy's head and then cradles that head in his lap as the guy dies. Yeah. It's pretty great. That's great stuff. Uh, So what are we going to do? What's our, who's our winner? Uh, well, I got, I mean, how often do you see a herd of cattle get their heads cut off? <laughs> I mean, depends on what part of the country you're in. There are parts of the country where that's a pretty much, that's a Thursday. <laughs> it's Chicago in the, uh, <laughs> right, the stockyards. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think in, in terms of, uh, bloodshed in this episode, it's gotta be either the slaying of Gage here, uh, just for it's kind of the, the, the weight of that episode yeah. or the oxen, but, uh, I'm partial to the oxen. See, I, I feel like the, you know, what gets me about the gator killing is not that he puts an axe in his father's head, but his foster father's head. It's that he then cradles gator's head in his lap as gator dies. Sure, but I, I think... It speaks to me about the cost of that revenge. Oh, absolutely. I I, don't, I think if we're, if we're weighing which is the more kind of uh, poetic and literary moments in the saga, that one would win. But we're talking about best bloodshed here, which is traditionally about bloodshed not what happens after it and so your argument is that because there are a lot of dead cows and therefore more blood that it's a better choice i think that's a piece of the puzzle but there's also <laughs> the <laughs> there's also the fact that it's a a pretty uh impressive and uh uh unusual act I'm and going we, to, we, we tend to award those kind of things i'm going to dismiss your argument about bloodshed given that you tried to sneak in the lacuna in the manuscript as a candidate it was a bloodshed uh, <laughs> of literature. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. A I bloodshed we of words. literary bloodshed. <laughs> I would totally give the uh, the the best bloodshed to the lacuna if you want to. <laughs> Should we actually go meta? I I mean, as scholars of literature, I think meta go. is exactly where there we belong. Go. I think we can do this if we accept that this is a one-time event because we're going to run into other lacunae in the manuscripts. That's true. This, uh, this cannot happen every time. But I think as a one-time event to recognize 
the uh, the contingent nature of much of what we read, there you uh, go. it would be a fine thing. All right. Well, then, to the lacuna. Uh, John, grab that. <laughs> we are going uh, to get emails about this one. <laughs> grab that trophy and toss it into the void, my friend. All right. Body, body count. count. All right. Our body count for this episode isn't earth-shattering, but... Honestly, that's partly because of the missing bits of the manuscript we keep talking about. Yeah. Right? We just don't know how many people are killed in some of these battles, and especially during the parts that are lost, right? And that big set piece battle where we lose uh, uh, both Broadhelgi and Looting, uh, we don't know who else is lost. Uh, so most of the people who are set up as combatants in that fight aren't heard from again in the saga, right? Did they die or did they just wander off? Are they just out of the saga? We don't know. <laughs> they, they wouldn't be the first people in the sagas to wander off after their function right. had been served. Absolutely. right. And we, we don't know what's what. Uh, and the same goes for the death of Thormod the farmer and others. right? And I think we'll yeah. talk about that a little bit. Uh, we know there are multiple fatalities because bodies are referred to several times. Yeah. Right? But only one man is named and no number is ever given. So according That's to the right. rules we la- we've laid down before, we can't count the others even though we know they're there. Ultimately, we ended up with a respectable but not terribly impressive score of 17 dead, with half of them coming in that final brawl between Bjarni and Thorkel's supporters. That's right. Yeah, eight people die in that that one battle. We didn't even bring that up in Best Bloodshed. (laughs) No. Well, because it wasn't very noteworthy. Right. (laughs) Not as noteworthy Um, as a missing piece of paper. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I really want to add at least one more body to the Thormod battle because it says I understand. Thormod was killed mm-hmm. and he was with a bunch of other people and it says bodies and they have to take carts on the backs of horses into I, the forest to get the bodies. I am entirely sympathetic to that point of view. That's, However, can we we can at least do two or three there. I mean, based on the arguments that we have laid down in the past, if we aren't sure uh, about the numbers, we can't count them. If you'll recall in uh, Eric the Red Saga, we had a ship go down at sea with nearly 50 men aboard. Mm-hmm. And we counted one because only the captain was mentioned by name. <laughs> and we just couldn't – we didn't know an exact number. And so we had to give a kind of shadow number of 48 shadow or 49 number. extra people. Yeah. So if you want to give a shadow number – Couldn't we have counted three in that one? I mean, what's wrong with us? <laughs> I suggest you go back to listen to that episode and pay careful attention to who was arguing against <laughs> counting random numbers uh, and then come back to me. Well, John, what is history for if not to teach us the mistakes that we've made? I see. So that we can learn from them and better ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, very noble. Uh, uh, for okay. now, the so. number is 17. Um, <laughs> and I believe you had some uh, some animals to list as well. Well, and here again, we have a, a significant problem. <laughs> because clearly we have one bull killed by the ice spur at the very beginning of the saga right. and then a herd of cattle now how big is a herd of cattle to a an icelandic farmer what is the minimum number for a herd it's got to be more than three at what point do they stop becoming like a an entourage of cattle and become a herd? <laughs> right so i mean i'm not sure exactly how to count that so i'm right. just gonna say a herd of cattle right and we'll leave it at that so a large 17, number of cattle that's right so 17 humans mm-hmm. and one bull and a herd of right. oxen. And a fair number of other men who we can't count. Oh, sadly. Uh, so what does that give oh, us for a body count density measurement? I'm glad you asked. The body count density measurement will take that 17 and divide it by the Hroffenkels, which is a 1.05. And we come up with mm-hmm. a body count density measurement, or BCDM, of 16.2. It's slightly lower than wow. Thorstein the White and uh, still about 50 and change short of the current champ mm-hmm. of body count density, the Saga of the Greenlanders. Well, I don't think we're ever going to top that one. I mean, the combination of the mass murder and the very short yeah. saga length. Well, and we were very fortunate that that saga author chose to count the people that were killed right. in a mass murder. Well, the old saga would learn know, to uh, improve themselves if they did that. That shows the foresight of that particular author. Perhaps others <laughs> should have given some thought to the idea that they might be judged about this someday. Take that, Eric, the Red Saga and the ship sinking. <laughs> Touche. Nicknames. In this category, we review the various nicknames we encounter in the saga. Some of them are pretty straightforward. Some of them have a story to tell. Now, we already know about the origins of Brodhelgi's nickname, but I'll bet you that John has a handful of other equally interesting tidbits to share with us about the many sobriquets of this saga, whether silly, serious, or salacious. (laughs) 
<laughs> How's that for an intro? You planned that one in advance. That was there's no way that came off the top of your head. Not two glasses of mead in. Uh, so actually, I don't have a lot to offer this time. Uh, we've got oh, come on, average... I finally give you a good intro, and, I, and that's what you say. I appreciate that. Uh, we've got an average number of nicknames in this saga, but not a lot that reward extensive research. Um, oh, great! I tried. I think we can accept more or less on face value that Ref the Red, Thorleaf the Christian, Hraven the Norwegian, Olver the Wise, Thorvald the Tall, they all have pretty good reasons for the name they've got. Uh, and there are a few others like Oxthorer or Thorgird Silver or Hoodbjorn that once you look into them turn out to be more or less obvious. Um, but we're not totally without hope. I've got a few that are worth a close look. Good. Uh, so... First, I will stop at our friend Broad Helgi Bjarnason. Uh, we already covered Broad Helgi last time, but he was beaten out by Hrani Goldhat. So I thought nice. he should get another chance here. Oh, good point. Uh, as we said, his nickname Broad or Spur came from that incident when he tied an ice cleat to his bull's head so it could gouge its rival to death. It's pretty typical of the man, and I, I like the ambiguity of the name. Right? The two sagas treated it very differently, if you remember. Uh, the disapproving nature of the name is clear in Thorstein the White Saga, while in Vopnafjord, even though he's presented as an objectively worse person, the name mm-hmm. is presented neutrally. Well, I uh, think later on he's presented as objectively worse, sure. but in the beginning we don't quite know. Right, right. They're they're being very careful to keep that on that even keel. Uh, and even though I think we both decide he's much less likable in this saga, it's still a pretty great nickname. Yeah. Uh, next, Osbjorn Shaggyhead, or Lothenhofdi. Uh, nicknames compounded with head can be a topographical reference, meaning a headland, like uh, Hilton Head in the United States. Right? So theoretically, shaggy head could refer to a wild grass-covered outcropping of land. And there have been people who have argued that it means exactly that. But head names are more often recognition-based. Right? They denote something about the personal appearance of the subject that's unusual or recognizable, something to make them so, stand out so from the crowd. Hmm? So he's bald. Well... <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Osbjorn's shaggy head or hairy head nickname doesn't just mean that he's hairy. It certainly doesn't mean that he's bald. <laughs> it means there's something outsized or striking about the quantity or the look of his hair. It's something that makes him stand out in a crowd of bearded, probably quite hirsute men. So I tend to I love like that word hirsute. Well, I yeah, don't know why, but it just sounds dirty to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to shock you. Um, so. Whatever this is, I like the shaggy head translation as capturing that this probably isn't a compliment necessarily. Right? His hair is excessive or unkempt or otherwise odd looking. Uh, and also he's got the best beard and hair based nickname in this saga. And, you know, I like to have one of those in here if I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we have Thordis Tauda. Uh Thordis nickname has two possible origins. Uh, Paul Peterson argues that Tauda is a hypocristic doublet for Thordis's name. So a pet name, in other words, right? Possibly deriving from a childish mispronunciation of Thordis, or possibly an affectionate diminutive, like Cutta for Cuthbert, like my dog, or uh-huh. Harry for Henry. Uh, now the other possibility can be found in Fjolstala's saga, which we mentioned last time is a sibling saga to this one. In that saga, Tauda is, res- is re- derived from Todi, which means bit or gift or peace. Mm. And the saga there explains that Thordis was a beautiful and well-bred woman who was called Thordis Tada because she never gave less than a big piece when she gave to the poor because she was generous. Yeah. Now, that seems entirely plausible, right? But it's often been read as an authorial invention. Uh, In other words, the saga writer is confronted with a nickname and guessed at its origin. Hmm. Uh, And in fact, if you go to uh, the scholarly editions, even uh, John John Johannesson the editor of the standard Icelandic edition of the saga adds a footnote saying, uh, in Icelandic, but I'll translate, this explanation for Thordis's nickname is unquestionably wrong. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I'm not so sure myself, so I'm going to leave both of them as possibilities and uh, offer also the possibility it's meant to evoke a double meaning. That it's a diminutive and a reference to her generosity, like naming, oh, I don't know, a wealthy cartoon child, Richie Rich. Uh-huh. But it said it was unquestionably wrong, so I don't know why we would even consider the the, the other version. Well, I'm willing to consider that this, uh, frankly, long-dead scholar may be incorrect. <laughs> hmm. Uh, next, we have Thormod the Stick Starer. Winner. Uh, yeah. 
I'm going to warn you, this is going to take a minute, but I think it's worth it. Because uh, this is the sort of nickname I get excited about. Uh, so the name, uh, Stickublinder, is uh, understood to mean Stickublieger, which means stick starer. And this tradition goes back a very long way. Uh, uh, Jakob Jakobson's 1902 German edition of the saga glosses the name as Stickublieger. Uh, now he has good authority for that. Lan Nama book gives Thormod's name as stick starer. And usually that's the end of the conversation, right? When Lan Nama book speaks, people listen. Uh, but the problem is that the actual sources for Vapnafjord Saga are really clear about the name. Of the five earliest extant copies of the saga that Jakobsen consulted, four, the A, B, C, and D texts, all give the name as Stikublindur. Only the E text, which is a 19th century edition and which is using Lannama book as its source, gives the name Stikstarer. Right? That's huh. pretty obviously due to the editor, Olaf Sigurdsson, amending the text to match Lannama book. Now, I get suspicious whenever I see an editor ignoring the evidence of his own sources. I'm not saying that Lanna book is wrong, because God knows I would never say that. But it's worth at least looking at the name at face value. Stickublinder means something like stick blind or hidden stick. In both of those cases, stick can either mean a stick of wood or a measuring stick, right? uh, equally a yard or two L's of cloth. I'm going to suggest two readings, both of which come with the caveat that Jakobsen might have been right to suggest the emendation to Stickstarer. But if this means hidden stick or something like it, it seems to suggest someone whose measures are done furtively or secretly. Maybe Thormod is a, is a merchant with a reputation for trying to shortchange people. <laughs> uh, but the other reading, stick blind, now that's really intriguing. Andy, do you remember why Thormod ended up being killed by Broadhelgi? Uh, they had a dispute over some stuff. Yeah, it was because he tried to summons his neighbor Thord for stealing oh, yeah, yeah. all the wood from a woodland they owned together. No, I thought that you were gonna you were asking about the origins of Thormod's mm-hmm. uh, conflict with with Broadhelgi, right. and it comes well before that, right? I like the idea that this nickname is a reference to Thormod's wood being stolen when he wasn't looking. The, <laughs> the stick blind Thormod. You know what? <laughs> I think that that's really good. Or that he's he's staring at just the sticks that are left over <laughs> after all the trees have been stolen from his woods. I like that. I uh, dude, I think that's a really really good one. Um, so that's why I don't ever trust the notes. Right, you have to look this stuff up yourself. Yeah. Too bad his nickname doesn't last that long. Right. Fair enough. He's only <laughs> mentioned fairly briefly. Uh, yeah. Next one, Skivy the Elegant. Or Skithy Pruthi. Uh, this is a name that shows up a fair amount in the sagas. We actually saw it in both uh, Vigland Saga and Bjorn the Hitterdal Champion Saga. Uh, it's usually translated as elegant, but its connotation is slightly more full-blooded than a word like elegant suggests. Mm-hmm. Right? The origin, uh, we've I think we said once before, maybe the French prudhomme or noble man. So it seems to carry a class marker as well as a description of an appealing personal carriage. Uh, it's translated in sometimes as the magnificent or the splendid, but it can also carry the sense of stout-hearted or courageous. Ooh. Uh, so not a bad nickname to have. And lastly, but certainly not least, Charvi the Tall. This is an unusual one for us because the nickname isn't really what I'm interested in. Uh, Charvi's nickname is Mikli, right? the tall or the great. But it sort of slipped into the saga. Right? When we first meet him, we're just told that Charvi is... A big man and very strong. Uh, for the record, Mickley mostly has the same connotations as great in English, right? So the meanings of tall, large, numerous, and socially prominent are all available as options. Right? It's got many of the same connotations as great. We meet him because he's the one who Brodhelgi and Gaetir apparently send to murder Hraven the Norwegian, right? The merchant whose merchandise they tried to steal. Remember, he's the one who was nowhere to be seen at the time that Robin was killed. It's only later in the saga that he's called Tjarvi the Tall. But again, his nickname is pretty straightforward. I'm more interested in his actual name, Tjarvi, which is an older form of Torfi. Tjarvi means wizard or charm weaver. And this is so frustrating because we only really know two things about this guy. I mean, three if we count that he's tall. One is that he kills a man without any clear indication of how. We're just told that Hraven was apparently led to a dangerous place where he perished. How did Tjorvi get him there? 
The second thing we know is that he was outlawed for his role in killing Broadhelgi and looting, but because of the gap in the manuscript, once again, we don't know how he did it. Is Charvi a wizard? <laughs> Inquiring minds on, want John. to know. No, they don't. <laughs> don't don't dis- discard this. The greatest trick Charvi ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. <laughs> So uh, those are our options. What do you think? Um, well, I've recently spoken to the amazing Randy, and uh, he said that uh, Charvi was not a wizard, and Sadly. there's no evidence to prove that he was. So I'm going to go with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, you know, as much as I want Broadhelgi to take a, a, a bunch of trophies, <laughs> you can't beat Thormod Sixterror. I, I tend to agree. I really Especially like if that it's name. The, uh, the nickname that means what we think it means. I certainly hope it does. It's brilliant. <laughs> Congratulations, Thormod. You may have lost your cattle and uh, your forest. And your life. <laughs> oh, yeah. that And had that to be too. smuggled out in the back of a coal box. But <laughs> we hope this makes up for the indignities. There you go. Notable witticisms. All right. Now, this category gives us a chance to celebrate the often understated and sometimes whimsical art of saga writing. And uh, Vopnisurid Saga is actually a fairly well-written saga in terms of pacing, and in subtle and not-so-subtle bits of plotting, like the indirect hints about the conspiracy among Broadhelgi, Gator, and Chorvi the Tall mm-hmm. to kill Robin the Norwegian. Right? We, we do get hints that this is a competent saga writer who knows what he's about. Now, that said, this isn't the cleverest saga in terms of one-liners. No. So it's, it's maybe a saga that's a little ill-treated by our categories. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, there are still a few bon mots to consider. Uh, <laughs> Is that what you Andy, call them? It's a <laughs> I think you had one to start. Uh, I do. Uh, and this one, I don't know if it's so witty. I just like it. And I think uh, mm-hmm. I, I think you'll understand why after I, I tell you. Um, and I don't I don't believe we, we mentioned it in the summary episode. But this is when Thorleaf the Christian has absconded with Hrof and the Norwegian's oh, yes. goods. And uh, mm-hmm. Broadhelgi and Gatier chase him down in their little sh- uh, fishing vessels. And they're debating whether they should attack or not. Gator's advice is to uh, go back to shore and hope that uh, a nice wind comes in and blows Thorleif the Christian into shore. Right. Um, that not his finest moment. No, it doesn't work out. Uh, Broadhelgi says in his typical kind of aggressive fashion, Listen to what that worthless fellow has to say. We should raise such a storm that some will feel its sting. Oh. <laughs> I like this. See, I feel like that's kind of a weird mixed image. <laughs> I don't really think of storms as stinging. Well, you know, maybe lightning stings them. I don't know. I, I like that for two reasons. First, mm-hmm. um, I think it's clever that they're talking about the weather and Broadhelgi inserts this line about creating such a storm in battle uh, that those will, others will feel the sting. The other thing I like about it is the reference to the word sting. Now, I didn't look at the Icelandic for this one, but anytime mm-hmm. I hear the word sting in terms of battle, I think of Bilbo shouting out i will do the stinging <laughs> and i just love oh. that moment for bilbo mm-hmm. not this has nothing to do with that but well i mean you know we don't talk about it very often but it's never a bad idea to consider whether or not something you're reading in the sagas may have influenced Tolkien. oh absolutely we know he loves this stuff well and he spent uh, we know- the majority of his life uh, uh reading the sagas in the original and talking about them absolutely. with his friends absolutely right the coal biters club. exactly um, so yeah, no, it's it's never a bad idea to consider whether that might influence. No. Uh, but I don't know if that's the wittiest line. Um, well, I don't know if there are witty lines in this saga, to be honest with you. Well, allow me to change your mind, sir. Okay. Uh, my first nominee is a nice moment of snark. Uh, Gator has been dealing firsthand with Broadhelgi's increasingly unhinged behavior for several years. Finally, he's on a trip to drum up support to take Broadhelgi down, and he stops at the home of Alvir the Wise. Olvir asks about Helgi, and Gethir is more than fair, saying, He's a man of distinction, overbearing and headstrong, but a decent man in many respects. But is he not a great troublemaker, Olvir says. And Gethir dryly answers, Well, the injustice of Helgi has mostly fallen on me, in that he seems to begrudge me the same sky over my head that he is using over his own. That's a good line. It is a good line. It's a good line. Is it yeah. the kind of witticism that we're used to? The kind of witticism? I mean, what we're looking for here, well, John. All right. Then then show me something better. I don't have any because we're looking for something like Scarpathan would say. 
And it's Scarpaven's just not here. <laughs> well, this is the problem: is that Scarpaven should really still be winning like the next six <laughs> right? sagas, and it's uh, and unfortunately, that's not how it's going to work. Yeah, I mean, my next one, for example, is a mere proverb, mm-hmm. but the context of the proverb are, are quite good. So the the placement is uh, of this line is is excellent. I'm listening. It comes after Gator has manipulated the situation to recover the bodies. If you remember, uh, Thormod and his friends, although we only count Thormod for body count. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have been killed and their bodies are, are lying under uh, s- sticks and they can't nobody can get them out oh stick stare maybe he's dead and staring up at the pile of sticks that's on top of him <laughs> there you go his eyes are open right just staring <laughs> at the sticks right because nobody would have bothered to close his eyes and nostrils exactly yeah Anyway, uh, so what Gator does is he arranges for a bunch of men to go with with coal bins into the forest and in order to distract Brodhelgi, he has gone to Brodhelgi's house. And Brodhelgi thinks there's an attack coming so that they can recover the bodies. So he's focused mm-hmm. on what Gator's doing. Meanwhile, the coal bins are being filled with the bodies. Um, at the end of this episode, when Brodhelgi realizes what has happened, he says simply, Wisdom comes to the fool in hindsight. <laughs> That's not a bad line. Not a bad line. The context is good, even though I described it horribly. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Um, Who's not getting most articulate? Well, you. This fella right here. <laughs> the guy drinking the mead out of a drinking horn. <laughs> <laughs> Strange. Uh, so um, my next one is a quick throwaway line, but I wanted to make sure it got its due. I like it when uh, minor characters in the sagas appear and get a kind of moment where they have a, kind of a clever line and they just disappear from the saga again. Right. Uh, now, in this case, Bjarni Helgeson is looking for an opportunity to take revenge against Charvi de Tall who's been outlawed for his part in the killing of Bjarni's father, Brodhelgi. Tjörvi is making plans to leave Iceland, presumably on a broomstick, and escape Bjarni's grasp. But a local shepherd, who's apparently sympathetic to Bjarni's problem, makes a point of visiting Bjarni on the day Tjörvi is chosen for leaving. And when asked the local news, the shepherd merely notes, Well, Tjörvi's possessions are on the move. <laughs> And it's left for Bjarni to figure out what, what to exactly. Do next. Yeah, exactly. Um, again, I don't think that's uh, you know going to win notable witticism, but right. among these but candidates, it's, got, it, it, it's got a chance. Yeah. yeah. All right, I got one more. Okay. Begrudgingly, <laughs> this one comes from uh, this the kind of what I would consider the second half of the saga, the second generation, when uh, Thorkel finally gets around to having a full on attack against Bjarni. Um, they're fighting, and one of the things that happens is Bjarni is hit, but the sword strikes Bjarni's necklace, a gift that was given to him and fastened very uh, very securely, uh, something that indicates mm-hmm. that maybe there was some magic involved. Um, but Bjarni reaches out and picks up the necklace after the strike and puts it inside his tunic. Thorkel responds after seeing this and says, You're still greedy for money, kinsman. Bjarni spoke, Money will be needed today, the way you're acting. Which I... <laughs> To me, that one, that one's really good, because he's implying. It's all right. I forgot to explain it to you. He's implying <laughs> someone here is going to get killed, and there's going to be compensation yeah. to be paid. Oh yeah, no, I understand the rest. Oh, I just want to make sure you understand, because it's pretty clever. <laughs> yes, thank you. In um, the moment, and I think that that I, for me fits what notable witticism is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't disagree, but I question whether it's um more clever than get here suggesting that the only problem with broad Helgi is that he begrudges others the same sky that he's using yeah um you know what you got me in a mood where i'm not going to fight with you so if you want to give it to get here <laughs> feeling a little mellow this evening <laughs> the mead's hitting and uh I'm, I'm willing i think the same the same sky he's using is not bad I like oh it's point. not bad it's not bad um, so there you go. So one forget here because we haven't given him anything yet. But in my heart, I'm giving it to uh, to Bjarni. Well, your heart is not relevant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lori. In this section, we review the actions of the saga's most villainous, conniving, and socially disruptive characters. And oh. I'm going to be honest, even though there's really only one possible candidate, I'm not very mm-hmm. happy about outlawing him. Well, hold on a second. There's more than one possible candidate for outlawry in this saga. Oh, come on. I, now, I know you're going to throw a few names in just to round out the category, but... No, 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 no. It is our duty to consider all possibilities. And in this oh, case, on. we've got at least three characters worthy of our attention. 
as I said, oh, come on. The only other character I can think of who fits the role of villain in this saga is Svart, the unruly bully from Chapter 2. And he's really only there as a plot device to establish Broad Helgi as a capable man in the in the region. So, But he is legitimately a bad guy. We've sure. got an obligation here. An obligation. Svart isn't in the saga for more than a page or so. I hardly think he's worthy of consideration in this category. So go ahead, John. Who's your next minor player to throw in here? Oh, no. He's hardly a minor player. I'm talking about the guy who may or may not be responsible for actually killing Hraven, the humble Norwegian merchant. I'm talking about Tjorvi, I'm not a wizard, the tall. <laughs> or He may or may not be a wizard. Well, right. <laughs> and he may or may not be responsible. Well, and that's it. You just said he may or may not be responsible. Did he or didn't he? No, I think we both know that he did. Okay. He did. Yeah. But, but still, he's just a tool of Brodhelgi and the gate here. Well, now wait. Now, a tool is irrelevant. He's wielding the weapon. But now that you mention it, we should consider them as well. Well, I agree. But here's a serious question for you, John. If we outlaw the main characters of this saga, then who's left to pick for Thingman? Well, you know what? We've run across this problem before. If you remember uh, Gunlog Serpentongue, we outlawed both the main characters. Right. And found ourselves scrabbling through the refuse for uh, our Thingman. Well, I'm concerned that uh, might happen here. But, but... I think we have a moral obligation to make this uh, make this consideration. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. For now, let's review the crimes of our so-called protagonists. I'll start with Gate here. Now, he's complicit in the death of Robin the Norwegian. Though, uh, to what degree? No one ever proves that he, or Brodhelgi for that matter, are responsible. I don't think we can outlaw him on the grounds of Robin's death. Well, maybe not. Uh... But I think we can at least consider it. We've got far more insight into the killing of Hraven than anyone else in the saga. Right? The author essentially tells us that Gaetir and Brodhelgi plotted his death. Oh, come on now. That's never said explicitly. It's entirely possible that Hraven just ran afoul of the wrong guy that night and Gaetir and Brodhelgi just took advantage of the situation. Oh, sure. I, nobody really knows. So they're just guilty of corpse robbing. <laughs> You're just being deliberately difficult, aren't you? I am, actually. <laughs> but uh, what else can we accuse Gator of doing after this? I mean, not much. Being slow to act. He doesn't really do anything legally or morally problematic after this. Ah, I see. So you don't count the slag of his former best friend, Brodhelgi Thorgelson, as legally or morally problematic. Interesting. No, I don't. And I'll tell you why. Brodhelgi is the most despicable character in this whole saga. His list of questionable actions begins with putting an ice spur on a bull's head and then watching his gore. I know we've talked about this, but this is horrifying. <laughs> he helps his bull to shred the head of an opposing bull. Uh, in the dispute with Thormod, he decapitates a herd of oxen to make a petty point. He's got a real problem with animals. As if that wasn't bad enough, he then cuts down every tree in the woodland he owned jointly with Thormod. Mm, what's he got against trees? Well... <laughs> But, I mean, that all of that's very excessive, though impressive when you consider the effort involved. Fair enough. But he's not done. Let's not forget that Brodhelgi's treatment of poor Hala. His wife yeah. announces that she's terminally ill, and what does he do? Well, he runs out and gets engaged to Thorgerd Silver. Before Hala has even left the farm. Yeah. It's not a good look. I mean, Brodhelgi, I'll be honest here, deserves what's coming to him. Well, and we're not done yet. There's all that, all those men in Thormod's company that he kills, even though we only got to count one. Yeah, uh, we can't blame him for that exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. I see where you're coming from, but they were coming to deliver summons for the cutting of the trees. Well, they weren't summonsing Helgi. The summons was for his tenant, Thord. Is he supposed to just stand by and let them treat his tenant that way? Come on. Legally, Yes. Look, I don't know about you, but I can't see anyone else in the saga more worthy of outlawry than Brodhelgi. I want to point out that after he kills those men, he also refuses to allow their bodies to be buried. Oh, good point. Making him guilty of mass murder rather than mass killing. That's kind of a He might not move. be your traditional saga villain, but he's a terrible person. He's got to go. I agree with you, John. I, I really wanted to like him, and I tried, and I've tried to support this uh -huh. guy. Back in Thorstein's saga... I didn't know much about him, and I seriously considered taking him as Thingman in the hopes that he would turn out okay in this saga. It was a game. Now, I didn't know if you were going to confess that or if I was going to have to bring it up. No, no. I, I freely admit it. Uh, if you listen mm -hmm. to that episode again, you'll hear me kind of building up towards that. <laughs> then you remind me that we had uh, agreed to save yep. him for this episode. Yeah, I really wish we hadn't made that agreement. It would have been <laughs> hilarious. 
We've never actually dealt with the problem of what to do if one of us picks a thing and then we outlaw him. <laughs> it would be almost worth the laugh. But uh, fortunately, due to your good memory, I was saved from that fate. Uh, Brodhelgi's just not a good person, which Goodman the Powerful pointed out after dealing with mm-hmm. him for just uh, one season in Chapter 10. Yep. He's callous and manipulative and excessive and as brutish as he can be at nearly every turn. Well, then let's do it. Let's deliver our sentence of outlawry. All right, uh, you convinced me. Chorvi the Tall, pack your... No, 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 <laughs> Svart, we didn't get the chance oh, to come know on you, but... Now. Oh, Brodhelgi, we <laughs> don't say this often, but you should be ashamed of yourself. Yes, we're very disappointed in you. Though you may have shown promise as a young man, you squandered your talents and turned what could have been a good life into something shameful. I can't help but feel that if, if he didn't have such a rough upbringing, John, that maybe, maybe he could have done better. Well, we talked about his social isolation and the problems that that creates, but nevertheless, he made his bed, and now he has to lie in it. John, how did we become Brodhelgi's parents here? I don't know, but he's not getting dinner tonight. He's been very naughty. <laughs> All right. Now, you heard your mother, Brodhelgi. There's Wait, no dinner for you. I'm his mother? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> right. No dinner and a sentence of full outlawry. Now, go and think about what you've done. <laughs> Thing man. In this section, John and I take on the well-deserved role of Gothar and review the saga's best and brightest before selecting our favorites to join us each as Thingmen. And as always, we flipped a coin before starting to find out who will select the Thingmen first. And John, John won the coin toss, which was expertly executed by my son. Yeah, expertly? Didn't he drop the coin twice? <laughs> Yeah, he did. And you would have thought that he would have worked out the toss to my advantage somehow, but uh, he failed there as well. So there goes loyalty. Well, failed, I don't think is the right word there. I think we should have him flip the coin every time. No. I mean, next time I want your son to do it. The the three-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) Or the five-year-old. Either way, I think uh, there's going to be at least a couple of drops. Now, uh, because John won, he has the option to either choose first on this round of Thingman or defer until the next saga. Right, and as we've seen with some of Andy's deferments, patience can sometimes be advantageous. That is true. And if Bill Belichick has taught me anything, it's that sometimes deferring to the second half is a wise move tactically. Mm-hmm. But it all depends on your opponent in football, mm-hmm. and it depends on which saga you're choosing from and which saga is up next. Right, and in this case, we're going to be carrying on with our trilogy of sagas from the northeast of Iceland and doing the saga of Droplog's sons next. Yes, and I haven't read it yet, so I'm not really sure whether I want you to defer or go first here. So why don't you just tell us what you're going to do? Well, I have read it already many times, and because uh, this is actually one I enjoy. Um, but uh, tempting as it is to pick first this time, because this is a saga where the pickings are mighty slim... I think I'm going to be much happier picking first next time. So why don't you uh, why don't you scurry along and make your pick? Are you serious? I am. See, I was kind of hoping that you would pick first, and then I wouldn't have to really yeah. say much, and I could just go, "Well, I'm taking this guy." But now you leave the burden of responsibility on me. Enjoy it. Mm. All right. So um, I've got a list of ah four thingmen. Four. Good for you. There's Gate here. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not taking Gator, but here's why you would think <laughs> about him. He's a Gothi, and he is mm-hmm. reported to be a great sage. But look, I'm I'm too bothered by the fact that he's so slow to act to the point that his thingmen are approaching him and saying, "Hey, buddy, what's up? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to leave you if you don't do something." So, as yep. great a sage as he is, he doesn't understand what's going on around him. So, I can't really choose Gator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bjarni Brodhelgesen. I think I would choose him. I'm strongly mm-hmm. considering Bjarni. Uh, this is what I like mm-hmm. about Bjarni. Bjarni has set a task to avenge th- his father, and he gets the job done. That's a go-getter. I like him. <laughs> he also arranges the chopping block on the horse gag in order to uh, escape Thorkel that one time, uh, which I don't think we talked right. about in the uh, episode, but you'll have to read the saga to learn more about no, it. But I thought it was pretty smart. I liked it. Um but he's also criticized for an unmanly attack on Gaetir. Uh His immediate repentance and his his regret uh, cradling the head of Gaetir, that draws me to this character. He's the kind of guy mm-hmm. I like. He gets the job done, but he understands the complexity of the, the kind of world he lives in. Um, 
Sure. Also, the fact that he's willing to forgive Thorkel after all that Thorkel does to uh, attack him uh, makes him the kind of guy that I would like. Does that make him the best Thingman material? I'm not sure. Um, I think I would I would strongly consider him. Then there's Charby the Tall, who seems mm-hmm. like the kind of guy <laughs> that if you say, hey, go kill this dude, he'll go do it. So he's a, he's a good henchman. Right. I think of Chorby the Tall as a henchman. Right. We have, it's true that we both have a lot of uh, a lot of cooks, not enough uh, not enough waiters. <laughs> That's right. Now, the last person I want to consider is Thorvard the Healer. Um, he comes in late uh-huh. in the saga, but he plays a very important role after the battle between Bjarni and Thorkel. Well, he plays a role. He plays an important role, both <laughs> uh, literally and metaphorically. Uh, literally, he oh. heals the wounds of Bjarni and Thorkel, and metaphorically... He heals the wounds of the culture that has been rendered by the battles and the feuds between these two families. Um, wow, that would be that would almost be deep if I were buying it. Uh, I think you should buy it because you're a literary scholar and you know that's exactly what he's doing in the saga. <laughs> um, what I like about him is the fact that there's nobody else in the saga who's really worth considering. Mm-hmm. And I've played enough RPGs to know that you can't just have tanks rushing into battle and you can't just have archers flinging arrows at your enemies. You need a healer to heal the wounds of battle. And Thorvar the healer. Are you, are you making an RPG analogy for why you're about to choose an honesty in the saga? Not a non-entity. He is the one who binds the saga together. Thorvard the healer. Oh dear. I'm happy to welcome you to my esteemed group of Thingmen. <laughs> you wow. will make us whole. <laughs> When we are unwhole? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that fell flat. Unhalu. <laughs> um, now, I think uh, you've made at least two assumptions there. One is that you have a, a uh, an esteemed group of men. Um, I think we do. I think they doing a fantastic uh, job. All right. So, Thorvard it is. What's the second uh, well, assumption I mean, that I've made? The second assumption is that uh, anyone will be excited by the choice of a cleric instead of a tank. Uh, well... I've already got tanks, not enough, enough clerics. Uh, no, I mean, I look, I agree. This is not a great saga to go Thingman shopping in, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time criticizing your choice. Uh, there isn't a single available choice that isn't morally compromised or unimpressive mm-hmm. in some significant way. And fair enough, you've gone for unimpressive. Oh, I accept that. Ow. Uh, but I'm going to need Thorbar to heal we- that wound. <laughs> <laughs> Once we eliminated Broad Helgi through outlawry, I think we laid down a line in the sand. Arguably, Broad Helgi's worst crime is the premeditated murder of Robin the Norwegian for no reason other than a greedy desire for the man's wealth. And Gaetir is right by his side during that shameful endeavor. Uh, in fact, the only thing worse than killing a man to rob him is killing that man and then letting his business partner get away with the goods. <laughs> And Gaetir's the main one responsible for that debacle. Oh, yeah. Remember, he's the one who predicts the weather is going to turn, and it does mm-hmm. not. Uh, so he's off my radar. And interestingly, it would seem uh, that uh, uh, Chorby the Tall is Gaetir's man, which would imply that Gaetir's yes. really the one responsible for the death of Frog. I think that's entirely possible. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't feel comfortable taking Gaetir. Uh, which means the other options are his are the sons, right? Uh, Bjarni and Thorkel. I don't think Thorkel's an option. Uh, of the two, I'll take Bjarni. You should. He's cleverer than his father, Helgi. He's as forbearing as his uncle, Gator, And he's far more interesting than his cousin, Thorkel. Now, yes, he kills his uncle. But in revenge for his own father and brother's deaths. Right? In, that, in this culture, I don't think we can fault him for making a difficult decision mm. that clearly cost him deeply. Mm-hmm. And he then worked over and over to avoid continuing the cycle of violence despite the provocations of Thorkel, who, in fairness, has his own father to avenge, but fails to do so. Ultimately, in a saga without a clearly desirable pick for Thingman, Bjarni's the best of the lot, and I welcome him to my hall. He won't sit at the benches nearest the fire, <laughs> but we'll make a place for him somewhere near the side doors over near where the outhouse is. <laughs> well said, well said. Um, just out of curiosity, who, who, was, uh, who raised Bjarni? Gator. Ah, and who did who who killed Gator? Bjarni. I said it cost him deeply to do it this. Sure did. All right, right then. We, I do think it's one of the more uh, emotional moments that I've read in a recent saga uh, when he cradles Gator's head in his lap after being the man to kill. I'll him. agree. He has to do this. He's required by his culture to avenge his father, 
Uh, and frankly, he lacks the self knowledge of Snorri to avoid taking revenge. Mm. Uh, I, like I say, Bjarni doesn't get a place of honor. He gets a place. Well, I think uh, Bjarni and Snorri will have plenty to talk about. Yes, they will. <laughs> All right. So, In my Thorvard the healer for me <laughs> and Bjarni Brodhelgeson for John. Final rating. And now it is time at long last to rate this saga. Uh, John and I will each give our opinion and a rating on a scale of 1 to 10 of what we thought of this uh, brilliant little saga. Oh, I was going by 1 to 11. No, it doesn't go to 11. Oh, right. Sorry, that was Nelson. saga. Yes. <laughs> and because I went first on Thingman, uh, though I didn't want to, we're going to let uh, John <laughs> go first on final ratings. All right. And honestly, I don't want to go first on final ratings. Uh Trying to slap a rating on this saga is difficult because I honestly, I'm not sure what to judge. What exactly am I using for my criteria? Hmm. Do I judge this based on the saga that it is or based on the saga that it's meant to be? Uh, Ultimately, this podcast, we started this because we wanted to encourage other people to read and enjoy the sagas. So I have to look at what a reader comes to when they open this book. And what they will come to is a saga that's about 90% complete, or at least I think it is. Uh, But the missing pieces include the key moments of the text. I don't just mean the violence, although missing out on the final comeuppance of Broad Helgi is deeply frustrating for a fan of saga literature. What's really missing is the core emotional stuff, right? The, The emotional beats that make the saga. We miss the actual moment when the sickly and heartbroken Hala Luting's daughter leaves her home with Broad Helgi after being rejected by him in favor of a new woman. That is a tragedy. We, we miss the loss of Bjarni Helgeson's father and brother and any emotional impact that may have had on Bjarni or on the narrative. We miss the moment when Bjarni is emotionally browbeaten by his stepmother to take revenge on his own uncle for his father's death. And then several minor gaps interrupt the buildup to Gator's death at Bjarni's hands. And as I've said, I think that's actually a very powerful emotional moment, but it's undercut slightly by those missing pieces. Mm-hmm. There was once a really solid saga here. Maybe not quite at the level of the best, maybe, but a good story with a solid payoff. But we're blocked over and over again from the hints about motive and trauma that propel the characters forward. And the narrative suffers a great deal as a result. I think I would have given a complete version of the saga a very respectable score, but as it stands, I can't go higher than a four. Mm. And even that comes with a caveat that this is not a saga for newcomers. Right? Save this for after you're already in love with the genre and need to read them all. Very interesting. How about you, Andy? You know, I, I, I'm glad you gave it that score, and I like your description <laughs> of it. Now, I, we disagreed on... You could just say ditto and we can uh, go home. Well, I, I have something to say, but it's really not so much about this saga as the, the last saga that we read. <laughs> then I think you're slightly late. <laughs> no, I, I was I was pretty harsh on Thorsing the White Saga, though I think you were. deservedly so. You rated that one higher than me because you felt it encapsulated nicely what a saga is in a short space. Now... I yes. disagree on the value of Thorstein Saga in that regard, but I would argue that the Saga of the People of Vapnafjord does accomplish all the things that you claim that Thorstein Saga achieves as an introductory saga. Now, that hmm. doesn't mean that Vapnafjordinga Saga is a great saga by any stretch, but if you are looking for a short saga to establish some, some of the typical themes and motifs, uh, then you could do worse than this one. I think you could do a lot better. I mean, you could. But you could do worse. (laughs) Like if you choose Uh Thorstein's saga, for example. Wow. Uh, This is a middle-of-the-road saga, but slightly below. And I think it's only slightly Mm -hmm. below because of that lacuna. Uh, So I'm giving it a minus one for that. Um, Thus, it is a a four. I agree with you. There you go. Great minds and all that. Well, our approach is very different, but we arrive at the same place. I took the high road. You took the low road. We'll get to four together. That's what I do. That's that's me. When you go high, I go low. Uh, so a four from Andy, a four from me, and that's a that's an eight for Vapnifjord uh, Saga. And that brings us to the end of yet another saga. And John, we are one saga away from our second quarter court. That's right. Next time around, we'll follow the thread that this saga introduced when Thorkel was too sick to fight Bjarni. That's right. And in that brief throwaway chapter. The author introduced the sons of Droplog, uh, Helgi and Grimm. 
And because of that brief cameo, we will turn to the saga of the Sons of Droplog. I, for one, can't wait. Yeah, I've read through the saga a couple of times, and you might want to wait. Uh, (laughs) There are so many people mentioned in this saga. It will very likely blow your mind. Well, you know, John, that's why I keep my handy paper and pen right nearby. I just chart it out all in the genealogy, and Bob's your uncle. I got it all. That's that's the genealogy? Bob's your uncle? You have a little more work to do. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead and try that. Well, in the meantime, get in touch with us to share your thoughts of the saga of the people of Valpnafjord and let us know if we made the right decisions. Right. And if you prefer someone like Thorvard the Healer and his very brief appearance in the saga, oh, we're doing that again. And engaging Bjarni Brodhelgason. Whatever. Uh, sure. <laughs> whatever he said. You can also start peppering us with questions about sagas, medieval Iceland, or even who we are and how we do this crazy podcast called Saga Thing for the second quarter court. We'll try to keep track of mm. the questions and then address them at the court. You can reach us on Twitter, where we are at Saga Thing Pod, on Facebook, where we are Saga Thing Podcast, or via email at Saga Thing Podcast at gmail.com. You can also leave a comment on our blog site, Saga Thing Podcast.wordpress.com. Or you can write us on a boat, or you can write us with a goat, or you can write us in the rain, or in the dark, or on a train, or in a car, or in a tree. We love your letters, don't you see? So you can write us with a fox, or you can write it in a box, or you can write us with a mouse, or you can write it in a house. You can write us here or there, why, you can write us anywhere. We do not want you to send spam, but tweet or Facebook all you can. (laughs) Are you done? I'm done. (laughs) All right. That was not bad. I mean, that's one of your better ones. (laughs) Uh, But before the uh, copyright people attack us for that, uh, we will leave you. Right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. And oh, sure. what I like about Thorvald the Heaver, the Heaver, <laughs> he's he's got a quite a gag reflex. <laughs> <laughs>